This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Natural Co-Creators Show with Jennifer Lynch. And tonight I will be talking to the fantastic author El Sydney Fisher about her books. Sydney is a hashtag one Amazon best-selling author of several books, I say several loads. Her love affair with reading and writing started at an early age and she is very interested in the supernatural as well. So it's going to be a very fascinating interview. So hello, Sydney. How are you? Hello, Jennifer. How are you? Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm great. I'm fascinated by your story. I'm fascinated um, with where you live and how you got into writing. And I've found out that you did get into writing at a young age. Can I ask you a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I'll tell you, I had my first paranormal experience when I was about eight years old. Um, During my time when I knew the Bradford family, one of my books is, the debut book is um, The Haunting of Natalie Bradford. And in that that novel that I wrote uh, several years ago, actually, um, I talk about the house, the haunted home that was named Lindenwood. And... um, During my time when I knew the Bradford family, I was a living witness to that story. Uh, That's where I had my first paranormal experience. You know, even as a little girl, when I would go to the library uh, during my summer vacations from school, um, I always loved to read books. And, um, you know, after having a paranormal experience, it's kind of like it just opened up a whole new world. To me, and I became so fascinated with it that while the other children were reading Dr. Seuss, I was over in the New Age section looking for ghost stories and that kind of thing and trying to make sense of things that uh, did not make any sense to me at that age. And so, um, it you know, it, it just spawned a curiosity and um I loved to write poems when I was uh, a a young child and and into my uh, teenage years. And it's just something that the writing just seemed to come naturally for me because I love to do that. But as far as the paranormal, uh, the supernatural aspect of it, that, of course, was spawned because of an experience that I had. Okay, so your books are... Even though they're fiction, they are based on your real some of your real experiences, aren't they? That's correct. My all of the books that I write are inspired by true stories or true events. Um, as a writer, you know I do use the creative nonfiction uh, venue, if you will. Um, you know, the, writing creative nonfiction means that you have a book uh, or an, a book project has all of the elements of a fiction uh, piece, but it, it's dramatized uh, into a storyline. And 
the Bradford haunting, that particular series is about 90% word for word as it really happened. So it's very authentic. The first book is very authentic. The second book, there are some scenes that I did dramatize a little more or incorporated in order to continue the continuity of the storyline. But there, yeah. some of my other projects as well are based on true stories. So that is correct. Mm-hmm. And I read The Visit today and I absolutely loved it. And I know now Aww. that I will read more of your books. And I'm Aww. normally quite a slow reader, but I actually downloaded the Kindle version and I was zipping along. I was just going, you know, reading really fast because it really, you know, pulled me in. I was really interested in it. That's good. I always like to hear that, of course. Um, usually, you know, with my stories and, you know, because they are uh, supernatural thrillers or within that genre, paranormal mysteries, um, you know, it's important that you that you do captivate your audience very quickly. So I, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you enjoyed the volume one of the Celestial series. And that particular series is is a it's a short story series. It's going to be a little bit different than some of the other paranormal books uh, that I have written, such as The Devil's Board and The Haunting of Natalie Bradford. This short story series is something like you said you picked it up and you read it today before we got on the <laughs> phone and uh, are on on the show. And so it was it was a quick read, and I designed them to be like that for people who may be sitting in an airport and want something inspirational. But it deals with an aspect of the supernatural that's a little bit different. This deals more with the afterlife, um, the divine, angelic encounters. Um, all of these stories are inspired by true events as well. So what you read in the visit is what happened. Um, to me, in my own angelic encounter, but I set the story up using fictional characters so that I could lead you into that particular scene. But I did witness that, and it was an absolute phenomenal, I've never forgotten it, phenomenal event in my life. And um, even after having that encounter myself with an angelic being, um, months later, I kept trying to recreate this, and I'm not very good at drawing or painting. And I so wanted to put on paper, uh, sketch out the angelic person that, uh, you know, being that I had seen. And I got online one day and was going through looking at some different prints um, and paintings and things that you could purchase. And I found a print um, that looked a lot like what I had encountered, and I ordered it. So I framed that big, huge print, and I now have it by my bed. So every night when I go to sleep, I look at that that painting or picture of the angel that is so much like what I encountered several years ago, and it helps me. It makes me sleep really well. <laughs> Mm, that's brilliant that I mean I believe in angels I've written a book about them myself so you know you're on my page with that literally we are getting a bit of feedback here Sydney can you hear that feedback no I, I'm fine on my end oh that's all right because last time we got it but it didn't actually come out on the actual show so I'm not going to worry about it but you know Two energies like us together. Funny things are going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. And 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 I love and I love talking to you. You know, it's um, I, I have learned recently that um, the British love their horror stories. They love their ghost stories. I, I guess I just did not realize that it was very popular. Um, you know, ghost stories and things. Of course, you know, I, I love um, the United Kingdom, um, and, and it is on my to-do list to visit London, Ireland, and Scotland uh, because, gosh, you have so much fascinating history, and um, I want to come and stay about a month, so I have to get my schedule to where I can come and stay and 
and take it all in and and learn as much as I can. But um, I just did not realize how much that horror stories and ghost stories are very popular in the United yeah. Kingdom. Definitely. There are ghost tours here. I live near um, Bury St. Edmunds, and Bury St. Edmunds in Suffolk has an old abbey, and there are ghosts in Bury St. Edmunds, and there are ghost tours and things like that. But the place that's really popular in UK for ghost tours is York. Okay. York in Yorkshire. Yes, yeah. I certainly have. I, in fact, I'm writing, I'm writing this down. I'm writing this down as you're telling me. Cause <laughs> yeah, you It's a great place for ghost tours. It sounds cool. like that. It's perfect for me. The ones in York, I mean, I've never been on a York one, but I used to live there. Um, but it's a really old Roman town, you know, and it's because it's so old. There's loads of history there. There's there's like walls you can walk around. Uh, the city's got big walls all the way around it. It's got a minster, all sorts of things. But they do ghost tours. And from what I understand, they are packed out, you know, packed out with people. People just love it here. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That, it, it, absolutely. And I, I, I have, I, I'm one of those people. I would fit in very well. I would. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And even in Suffolk, because I live in the bit in the east in Suffolk that sort of juts out into the sea. There are mm-hmm. um, there's a very old pub here called the Four Horseshoes, which is the oldest pub in uh, UK. Uh, not in yeah. UK. In, in Suffolk. Sorry, in Suffolk. And I did readings in there because I do psychic readings as well. Um, oh, I do wow. angel, angel cards. And <laughs> they have a ghost mm-hmm. room, a ghost room. And we did, uh, you know, like uh, readings in there. And people were really scared to come in. And you're thinking, come on. You know, and they're like, oh, I don't know about this. Because, you know, the actual real hauntings in this pub. So I shall let you know the name of this because you'll probably be quite interested in some of the stories and things that happen. I certainly yeah. would. Well, that's very interesting. I did not realize that you you did um, readings. I am um, a clairvoyant, and I, some of my book projects have involved um, one one of the 20th century psychic um, who lived in the United States in the southern part of the United States. I, I'm a southern girl as well. Um, I live in Mississippi, which is in the deep south of the U.S. And um, one of the characters in my book project, Fino Evil, uh, well, his name was Seymour Prater. And he was a 20th century he had the gift of clairvoyance, and it was really amazing how I got involved in that particular book project. But um, I did a lot of research on him and another 20th century psychic by the name of Edgar Casey. Do you have you ever heard of Edgar oh, Casey? Yes. yes, oh yes, Edgar, Edgar Casey. He's very very famous. Lots of people know about him, don't they? Most right. people know about him. I haven't read his books, but you know, um, but he is he's like the initial spirit spiritualist, isn't he? He's a spiritualist, or you right, right. That is exactly right. And they called him the sleeping prophet. And he also was was from the um, the southern states in the U.S. Um, actually, he ended up in Kentucky um, before moving to Virginia, close to uh, Washington, D.C. But um, he was uh, a, a 20th century prophet like Seymour Prater. And in, in the book, in the end of the book, I actually did some uh, – uh, an essay type. It was just a, it's another section there where I did some research on the two men because they had so many parallels in common. In fact, they even lived within 70 miles of each other. So, um, and it was so strange as to how 
that their abilities were very, very similar. They were both known throughout the southeast of the U.S. for their abilities. Of course, like you said, Edgar Casey was known worldwide. Um, but they actually lived within 70 miles of each other in the state of Alabama. And it wow. just seemed very, very, yeah, it seemed so odd as I got further and further into that research. It almost seemed as if the lives were destined to cross at some point. Now, I never found out for sure if they did know each other, but I would be willing to bet that they had heard of each other because Seymour Prater's abilities were very, very much like Edgar Casey, except that Seymour Prater's clairvoyance, he, he did not go to sleep or go into a trance um, like Mr. Casey did. But Seymour Prater, actually, that particular book involves a haunting that took place in a Mississippi town back in, the, in 1931 when a man was murdered in his store. And Mr. Prater was a renowned psychic in the area. And so there were no eyewitnesses to this crime. And the family members of the man who was murdered drove about two, a two-hour drive to contact Mr. Prater and talk to him and see if he could help them find out who murdered their, you know, their brother. And it was amazing. The, the whole book is built around this, you know, what happened. And um, there was a haunting of the town because the African-American community would not go near Mr. Mr. Uh, Floyd's store. They were scared that you know, his ghost was haunting the town. It's an incredible little tale, and it always does really well on Amazon. And, of course, mm. you know, the list, yeah, it, it has done very well. I think it's tracking this morning uh, in the bestseller categories as well. Um, so it's it's a really good read, that one is. Not because I wrote it, but just because it's a good story. <laughs> I think it's right. fair enough. When you, when you put that amount of work into your books, because... I mean, what I liked about the visit was the way that you were just like right into the story straight away. And I think that's very much how it's got to be nowadays. People can't be bothered to read, you know, this, that and the other before they get into the story quite often, especially with the type of books you're writing. They want action, don't they? They're looking for action. They really do. And, you know, it's because we don't have a lot of time. Everybody seems to be so rushed, even. You know, no matter where you live, it seems like we, that time is just uh, something that we don't have enough of. So if you pick up something to read, you want to be you want it to be engaging um, as soon as you get into it. You know, otherwise you'll just be bored to death. <laughs> and we don't want that. We can we we've got other things we can be doing. But um, you know. I wonder if, have you ever done any ghost hunts? Because that's a part of my research is that I actually get in to research in some locations. Um, I don't carry a lot of cumbersome equipment with me. You know, it can be, it can be daunting to, to have to, to load up cameras and, and computers and lots of big equipment whenever you go to certain locations. But I do rely on my own clairvoyance, and I do take some small equipment, such as, you know, recorders and a spirit box, EMF uh, recorders or, or readers. And, um, and I do a lot of interviews with people. And, you know, a lot of folks have asked me, they'll say, you know, what is involved in your research and, and are you, do you go into a place as a skeptic? And I always tell everyone, you should always approach it as a skeptic. I mean, that's just a healthy um, way to be. But at the same time, when, when I am working on a particular book project and, and I've been told that there was a haunting there, there is this story, you know, and I'm exploring that as an option for a book project, I'm not one of those people that walks in the door that has to be convinced that the paranormal is real because I'm already a believer. So I don't need that particular confirmation, but I do look for certain things, uh, certain elements uh, that have to be present 
uh, in order for me to want to get into it as a book project. I mean, it's got to be something that is broader than just an isolated event where someone has seen a rocking chair rocking by itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you so, mean. Yeah, so it has to be it has to be something much much broader than that. Mm. Because we have like these big old stately homes in England as well. And there's one called Hampton Court that I think is quite haunted. Um because I know of somebody who used to work in Hampton Court Palace. I don't know whether um, they'll let people in to do investigations in these big houses like Hampton Court because it's, it's virtually a palace. It's a really big place. But there are, there are smaller places, definitely, you know, where, where people have um, spotted ghosts. And there's an airstrip as well, you know, like... Um, not far from me, where they had like World War Two pilots and stuff like that, you know, and a control tower that is supposed to be haunted by people who, you know, the pilots as well. So there's lots of different locations. It's not always somewhere where you think, is it? It's quite funny the way it is, how it turns out to be. That's right. And, and you know, here in the in the southern part of the United States, you know, we had a lot of immigrants that came to the U.S., of course, from from Europe. I mean, that's what the whole country of America, you know, was was spread with. Um, of course, the Native Americans were here first, the Indians. And then we had, um, you know, immigrants that came in from Europe and uh, the other countries, and they made a lot of money in America, especially in the South, because of the the land, uh, the richness of the soil, and the crops and things that they were that they were uh, planting, and of course the plantation homes. But some of those have survived the Civil War, and um, you would be really. You wouldn't be surprised. I started to say you would really be surprised how many, but you wouldn't be surprised at all. When I was a couple of weekends ago, I traveled to um, near the coast of Mississippi. It's about five hours from where I am. I live in Elvis Presley country. So all right. I am in, uh, yeah, I am in the town where Elvis Presley was born. And mm-hmm. so everything is Elvis. Oh, yes, everything is <laughs> Elvis here. And and it feels like Elvis, and it's wonderful, you know, and, and you can go out to the birthplace, and, and you can actually walk downtown on, you know, in some of the same places that Elvis walked as a child. Um, so it, it, it's really neat. Uh, to get that feeling if you're an Elvis Presley fan, and I am. How can I live in his birthplace and not love Elvis? But, um, but you know, when I traveled from here down to Natchez, Mississippi, I learned a lot about that particular city that I didn't know, and it was just absolutely amazing. They said during the Civil War era, which was around 1861 to 1865, and before when a lot of the plantations were being formed, um, they said, you know, there were 29 millionaires living in the USA at that time. And one of the the men that was given the tour of this beautiful home that I was in, he says, so how many of those millionaires do you think lived in Natchez? And I was thinking, oh, maybe 10 out of 29. And he said 19. So I just, 19 out of 29 millionaires in America during that time, 19 of them lived in Natchez. And it, it's because Natchez is situated on the Mississippi River, which is a, you know, a huge, was a huge transport mm-hmm. from the north to the south. And that mm-hmm. was the way that all of the goods transported. So it, it, it made sense. Yeah. But a lot, there was so much history. There's so much history in these antebellum cities, in these old, old Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Louisiana, these states here that had these huge plantations. Mm. And of course, there was the ugly thing of the slavery. Yeah. But there's so much, there's so much history there 
and so there's ghosts. There, there is absolutely hauntings that go on. But it was so funny when I traveled to Natchez and I would talk to some of the locals. And I would tell them, you know, my name and this is what I do. And, you know, I'm a writer and I investigate and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, I would say, so do you think that, you know, do you know of anything haunted? Or do you have a, you know, do you live in a haunted house or, or something? You know, I might be talking to somebody just in conversation. And they look at me with this funny look as if I should know. And they said, well, of course my house is haunted. <laughs> and I really? said, oh. <laughs> Okay, and and so they said, you know, and so in Natchez, you know, they embrace they embrace their hauntings, and it is the it it's just very charming. It is so charming, um, but it is it is a a beautiful place to visit. It really is full of history. That's brilliant. We're going to take a little break here now, um, Sydney. I'm going to play a track. Called it's called Haunted by Gab Roberts, who was a guest on the show. He's a hypnotherapist, but he was also a songwriter. And I think this is more like a romantic song, but it's still called Haunted, so I'm just going to play it. All right.
Okay, so that was Haunted by Gav Roberts, who has been on the Natural Co-Creators show quite a long time ago. He's an amazing hypnotherapist and he lives locally to me as well as being a talented musician. So coming back to El Sydney Fisher, um, I'd like to ask a little bit more about her spirit white wolf. (laughs) Um, That's intriguing because, you know, it's nice to think there are animal spirits around us, don't you think? Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I have always said when I, you know, when I moved into this area where I live now uh, in North Mississippi, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be not to live in a haunted house for a change. I can sleep through the night without hearing crashing noises or the doorknob jiggling or, you know, just anything or cold spots and those type of things. So, of course, wherever I go, I tend to somehow or another have ghosts that are always there. I don't know how this happens to me, but it does. And so I moved into this property, and it was a new house. And, you know, that doesn't have anything to do really with hauntings. I mean, the land that you live on, it could be haunted. So, um, but I lived here for a little while, and I started experiencing paranormal phenomenal and um, I thought what in the world so I thought you know I should have researched the history of this area before I moved here but I didn't so I started doing that and I found out that where I live was a Native American village not once but twice during the 1600s and the 1700s in 1640, around the 1640s, um, the Chickasaw Nation, um, they had a village site here. And then in the 1740s, they, had, they also were here. They moved around some. That particular you know, tribe did move around a lot. Um, not necessarily out of the area, but they would move within the area. They would build a different village site and that kind of thing. But um, they did bury their their dead uh, underneath their homes, underneath their houses, their huts. And um, <laughs> my next door neighbor, actually, who built a lake, and and on they have a beautiful backyard, and and it's a small lake that where they go fishing and whatnot. But when they were building this lake, they actually um, unearthed three full-bodied skeletons and now this was years ago of course and um, so that was part of the evidence there for sure but when I spoke with some archaeologists they told me about this and we kept finding different things that um, you know artifacts and things around the area that pointed to uh, where somebody had lived here before something you know old like like a Native American uh, village But I did not know about the white wolf story. I had no idea about this until after I had an experience one morning. I got up and went out my front door and walked to my mailbox. And um, I I was getting my mail out of my mailbox that the mail courier had brought. And I looked up and saw this absolutely beautiful white dog or wolf uh, standing not too far from me drinking water out of uh, like a mud puddle as we call it here or a ditch there that was at the end of my drive and I, I, I was so stunned and I stood there and I thought oh my goodness you know where did you come from and so He was so beautiful, but he never took his eyes off of me, and he was watching me as if he was just stalking me there for a moment. And it actually it it made me it started to scare me, yeah, Um, because I because I didn't know what he was going to do. I didn't know if it was a dog, or Mm. if it was or if it was a wolf. And I stopped and stared, and I was afraid to turn my back on him. And he didn't have a collar on. Um, So I backed, I started to get spooked. 
And, um, of course, I was familiar with animal spirits. But I kept this one was just, you know, I've never encountered a wild wolf. It looked real. Before. It looked really real to you, did it? It real. real. Yeah. Oh, he. I could hear it. The water was moving from his tongue, lapping the water up. It was making the noise. And so I backed backwards up my sidewalk into my front door, and my computer was just right here at the wall. And I, I jumped on my computer right quick, and I Googled white wolf. And, and uh, because I know a white wolf is not something that I would see in this area of the country in the United States. They're, they're rare or almost extinct. And so when I came up, I clicked on pictures, and there it was, the same snout, that same nose, the ears, the bushy, everything. It mm. matched. And I went, oh, my God, that is exactly what I just saw. So I ran back out the door just to look out the door around the corner, and it was gone. It had there was it was nowhere to be found. I walked around the back of my home, all around the the area, and could not find. It just disappeared. So an hour or two later, a few hours later, I called my neighbor, and I was talking to my neighbor who lives even a little, you know, a half a mile from me, and I was telling her about this wolf, this white dog looking thing. I said, Do you know if anyone has has um, you know, their dog or something has gotten out. And I said, but I promise you, it did not look like a dog. It looked like a white wolf. And she said, she got really quiet. And she said, um, well, you know that we live on, this was a Native American village. And I said, yes. And she says, have you not heard about the white wolf? I said, no. She said, the legend of the white wolf goes with the Native Americans that came here, the Chickasaws came from the west and they they traveled over many many miles until they settled here but the legend of the white wolf is that they were led to this area by a white dog or a white wolf and it's in all of their folklore or, or their history and she said we've actually there are two other couples who have witnessed this animal that you're talking about about four years ago behind my barn. Goodness, and I you said, you have, <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. And I said, you have yeah. got to be kidding me. She said, no, you've got to. So that immediately I started checking this out and I started, I actually met with some, some uh, Chickasaw who live in um, Oklahoma and who were visiting this area. And I talked to them and they said, oh, yes, did you not know the legend of the white wolf? I said, no, but I saw the white wolf and made a believer out of me. Wow. So <laughs> that was that thing. I've not seen, I have not seen the white wolf since that time. I have only seen it that one time. And it was very odd that it appeared at that moment because at that time in my life, I was very unsure about some decisions that I was needing to make. And that mm. white wolf showed up. And according to what I have been told, it was an omen or a sign that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. So okay. that, was just, that was amazing to me. Yeah, and you're obviously at the property you're meant to be and in the location you're meant to yes. be. And would you say that's been good for your writing, this location, where you live now? Um, it, it has, yes, it has. It almost makes me not ever want to leave because um, I, I did take that to mean that, uh, you know, and I haven't moved from here at that time. I was thinking about moving and selling my home and maybe going somewhere else. But, you know, there was a lot of... Different. There was a lot of things that were not settled in my mind at that point in my life, decisions that I was struggling with, and there it was. It appeared at that moment, and even though it scared me to death because I couldn't believe what I was seeing and hearing, it was amazing. Um, I've heard other stories about this white wolf from other people since that happened to me. So I am totally convinced now. At first, I was, you know, the, the typical skeptic. But now, 
I, I totally embrace what happened to me as it was meant to be. It was meant to be an omen or a sign. And it was letting me know. It was sending me that message that you are exactly where you're supposed to be for right now. Because mm. the white, yep, yep. So that was amazing. And that yeah. is the that is my adventures with the white wolf. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What a brilliant story. And what history surrounding all that. That's absolutely fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to ask you... Um, what else are you what what are you working on at the moment, Sydney? What what are you you know what what's keeping you going on a day to day basis at the moment? What what are you working on at, right now? <laughs> well, right now, what I'm working on is um, I've got two or three different projects going at one time, and that's always too much sometimes, but. A lot of times that's the way I work. I am working on volume three of the Haunted series. You can find all of my books on Amazon or at lsydneyfisher.com. But the um, volume three in the Haunted series is a little bit more of true ghost stories. Um, it It is based in a antebellum town um, before the Civil War. And so it's got a phenomenal history and a haunted history that you will absolutely enjoy. There's also a project that I am working on um, that has to do with the afterlife and near-death experiences. So I am working on that as well. That probably will be something, though, that won't be finished for a few months out. And then, of course, the Celestial series going on. And those are it's a short story mm-hmm. series that does deal with the, the miracles in your life, um, divine intervention, Mm. Um, signs and omens like what I experienced with the white wolf so it's a little bit and I say that in fun meaning lighter as in the light of God but it is meant to be a little inspiring it's a different turn of the supernatural so you you have you'll have the celestial series which is more of an uplifting and an awe-inspiring type series that lets you know that we're never truly alone in our lives no matter what there is always uh you know signs and omens from the divine um if you're at a place in your life where you you need some sort of direction and then in in when you're dealing with grief um, you know, there are just like with the angelic encounter that you read about in the visit. That was a very sad time for that particular um, character, and I don't want to give away any of it of no. the story. <laughs> don't give but, away but, any you know, Right, yeah. right. But and then but of course, you know, you do, yeah, comforting, it's comforting though, isn't it? It's comforting. Right. Yeah, actually, but right. I, because I. Because I connected with that energy, and I'm not going to give away the story either, but the way you described that encounter, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, it was just so real. And, it, yeah, the whole thing, it was absolutely brilliant. I'm going to take another little break here and play um, Raindrops by Ashna, and then I'll come back to you and ask you more exciting news if that's all right i'm just gonna play this now sure
from the album Spirits of Nature which is really beautiful it's all wonderful nature sounds and I really enjoy that so I'm back with my guest Sydney L. Sydney Fisher I want to say Sydney L. Fisher but it's L. Sydney Fisher apologies (laughs) well that's that's okay (laughs) that's my dyslexia I think I'm a dyslexic writer (laughs) so that's my uh dyslexia kicking in a little bit here okay so i wanted to um ask you about the phoenix series the phoenix series um how did that how did all this phoenix um series happen sydney okay well um a few years ago uh, I, I need to tell you first that i've always been interested in um psychic abilities um, I've always found that very intriguing um, ESP, telekinesis, uh, psychic medium, clairvoyance. I've always been interested in that. And, you know, I wondered, um, you know, how do you develop those abilities or is, is it even real? And I stumbled across a book called Tell Me What You See by Major Edward Dames a few years ago. And he was a remote viewer, which is also a form of clairvoyance, really. Remote viewing is just really, it's a made-up term that the United States military, I think, used in the place of calling someone a a clairvoyant. But when I got into reading this book, I became so intrigued by this research that our military was doing during the 19 mid 1970s really is when it started but it became heightened during the 80s um some of you may be familiar with it the listeners may be familiar with the United States military program called Stargate um it was actually shut down in November of 1995 i believe by the Clinton administration but um what they were doing, they were training psychic spies. And we jumped on board with this because you would guess Russia had already started this research, this paranormal research into training soldiers to be psychic spies. It's just a form of intelligence and that type of thing. So um, I, I became so engrossed in the studying of this that I ended up developing, you know, wanting to develop Um, a fictional character his name is Seth Phoenix but I wanted to be able to set up these lab these laboratories uh, the way that they looked and everything when we were actually using them um, for psychic uh, viewing you know psychics Reading people's yeah. Thing, yeah, yeah, remote viewing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, getting tough. I know there. somebody who um, trained in this, Sydney. I know somebody really? who trained in it and had a certificate. He was um, 
who who wow. apparently was trained by somebody in the military or had a military connection. So I, I do believe wow. it went on. I, d- I don't know much about it, but I, I do believe this did happen, yeah. Well, I will tell you this about the Phoenix series. Uh, the Phoenix Mission and the Phoenix Codes are the two books. Uh, there's also, I bundled those together. You can get the complete set, which is the Phoenix series at lsydneyfisher.com or on Amazon. Looking up L. Sydney Fisher. But when I, when I did those stories, when you get into reading those stories, they are very fast-paced. Um, and it's action that is going on. From the minute you start reading, it it will keep you engaged. But I will tell you this, a lot of the laboratories, when they're actually in these reviewing scenes, a lot of the history and things that you're reading, the medical science that you're reading about Seth Phoenix and the way I've set this up, it's authentic. The research that I did, yes, it is authentic. Some of the locations are authentic. So I, I did that on purpose. I wanted to I wanted to make this series because I was so amazed by this, you know, and it almost it was just so weird because I had been so fascinated by this. And when I found out that we had that our U.S. Army was involved in this for two decades and mm-hmm. we funneled over 20 million U.S. dollars into this program, um, I don't know. It just kind of all of a sudden validated everything that I had thought of and I thought you know I'm not the only one that believes that there's something to human ability beyond our five senses yeah. and I thought you know if, if we would put 20 million dollars into a program somebody somewhere had some you know positive results from this otherwise they wouldn't be doing it and Russia was the first So, you know, and in the book, in the Phoenix series, you're going to read about the Russian woman who was the uh, telekinetic or clairvoyant that they had. Her real name in real life was Nina Kalagina. In the book, I think I I called her Nikita Olishan. It's just a name that I Mm -hmm. made up. But I designed that character to be much like inspired by Nina Kalagina. Wow. You, you'll see, yeah, it, it was, it, that was a lot of fun. That project was amazing. It was a lot wow. of fun. That's excellent. So when you're talking about these books, I sort of visualize them becoming films. So I don't know if that is, if anybody has approached you yet, but that's a premonition from me. I feel that that you will be approached um, into getting these in as um, a visual thing, because I feel like they are very visual books. Is that right? Well, I, I, gosh, that's exciting. And, mm. and yes, I have, I have had, you know, I, I have had people that have approached me. Um, I have, I, it has not materialized, of course, yet. Um, a couple of, the, they do need to be adapted into screenplays. I was playing around with that a little bit, but you know, you get so busy that mm. you just can't get it. You can't get it all done. And there's, I have so many book projects that are on the, on the slate to be done, um, true, more true ghost stories. So, you know, it would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Someone told me they would love to see the Phoenix series as a major motion picture. And I think yeah. it would be, I think yeah. it would be phenomenal. I think the Phoenix series definitely should be adapted to screenplay mm-hmm. because it's got, it's got everything. Yeah, yeah. It's just got the energy of that. I can just sort of feel that in the, well, you call it, feel it in the ethers. <laughs> yeah, I can I'll tell you, of the, of, the projects, of the projects I've done, Jennifer, the ones that I personally feel like that should be, probably would be good movies, and I love to go to the movies. I don't know about yeah. you, oh, but yeah, I, I love Oh my goodness! I I am just a movie freak. I love to go to the movies, <laughs> but I, I feel like that the haunting of Natalie Bradford would be yeah. a great adapt adaptation to film, and the Phoenix series for sure. Those yeah. two are the two projects that I worked on that I think probably, you know, the Devil's Board is a really cool thing that could be good around Halloween. 
You know, it's mm. about a Ouija board that happened yeah. on a college campus. And that was a very frightening, very frightening project to be involved in. Mm. But, you know, um, they'd be People like that, though. People like being frightened. (laughs) Why else do they go on these roller coaster rides and hang upside down (laughs) this roller coaster? They don't like being frightened. Love it. Absolutely. That's right. You know, I used to be the biggest roller coaster freak. I love to go to the amusement park and get on the roller coaster. But now, I, ha- you know, it makes me so sick, and I yeah. just am devastated. So I'm, I'm glad that my, I'm glad that my teenagers don't really care that much about roller coasters because yeah. I don't have to be ashamed that I can't ride mm. with them. Oh, I can't do it so. either. Okay, so that's wonderful. So I think we're more or less at the end there. I just want to say your books are on Amazon.com and Amazon. They're on Amazon.co.uk, aren't they? They're, people can get them in UK as well. Um, I'm fairly can. sure they are. I'm fairly sure they are because I would have looked yes, there Yes, they, well. they are. They are. They are on Amazon.co.uk. They are yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. And thank you for being my guest on the Natural Co-Creator Show. Thank you. It's been loads of fun. I've absolutely loved it. And please keep updated with us if you want to come back again. You know, if you yes. if you write something else and you want to talk about something else another time, be absolutely wonderful. So thank you, yes, Sydney. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a lovely day. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So that was the wonderful Elsie Fisher talking about her Amazon best-selling books, the Phoenix series, all sorts. Please have a look. There are almost too many to mention there. Um, the Haunting and Natalie Bradford, See No Evil, The Visit, and her Celestine, probably got that wrong, Celestine series, the one that she's writing now. But um I've read one of those called The Visit, and the absolute, it's absolutely amazing. So you'll love her style of writing. She's a very, very talented lady. And there's so much history surrounding where she lives as well. It's all very inspirational. So I shall be going now. Um, next week on Monday, I will be having as my guest Vanessa Carter, who is local to me, actually. She lives in East Anglia. And she is setting up um, a special place for people with cancer where they can get alternative therapies and help. And also she has written a book as well called Rise, um, which is which is about helping people with cancer. And you'll hear about Vanessa's journey and her challenges that she's had as well on Monday. So I should be back on Monday and take care. It was fantastic having your company tonight. And I shall leave you with the gift by Ashna. Thank you. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.